passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. And with that, welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock alongside Wei Ting here on Inauguration Day. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, a big deal? It's it's always a big deal when you have a, a, new, a new president. Did you watch any of the coverage today? I had it on in the background, yeah. I pretty much watched... Uh, I watched most of it. I watched the guy get in the copter... I watched the copter fly. I watched the copter land. Got out of the copter. I watched the guy walk out the door. He walked up the steps, said stuff, walked down the steps. You know, that's about it. It's a pretty, I, I guess by certain standards, like a relatively modest speech. It was like 20 minutes or so. Did you did you stick around for the poem afterwards by, uh, uh, what was her name? Amanda Gorman? Did yes, you hear this? I, I had it on in the background. It was quite the... I thought this was like one of the most incredible speeches I've ever heard. It was a, it was unbelievable. It was very impressive, yeah. It was... A, 22 you know, years old. Oh, there, there are plenty of people that put us to shame with what, what they've accomplished at, at such a young age. But, uh, you know, I guess I guess because of, of COVID, it, it was a restricted inauguration, but it, it still had like plenty of fanfare. And of course... The the ultimate thing is that you know everything was conducted very safely, and this was a this is an administration that got right down to business. Like they've been in office for I think ten hours, and they've they've already been like doing a whole lot. Oh yeah, it was like right right into the the executive orders. I mean, it's it's not really a uh, a day of just uh, to be self self congratulatory. Like this is a this is a pretty dark time in 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 the world. To be honest, no, exactly. So I think I think that's the message everyone wanted to hear today. Is that okay? That's great. You're the Democrats are in power, but get to work. I think that's what everybody wants. A lot of people are dying every single day. Absolutely, there's an emergency going on. Yes. Do you want to? We can do uh, one quick game. It's called. Uh, oh my God! Do you know what the president of the United States tweeted today? <laughs> Today's okay. tweet. The time to move forward is now. Oh my God! Outrageous. The president tweeted that. Ban him. Can you believe it? No, no, no. I will do this every week as long <laughs> as it's tw- as, as we uh, get back to. Uh, I want at POTUS to be the dullest Twitter account. 
Well, I I mean, the hope is that eventually it, it, we won't even talk about anything involving the president on a wrestling podcast anymore. It's, it, you know, it's I, I look forward to the day where it's just not even really newsworthy. Well, that was a significant event, obviously, uh, today. But we are going to be covering tonight's episode of, of Dynamite and yeah. getting into some news, feedback, everything. There's a lot of stuff going on, but most importantly, John, before we went on the air, you informed me that you actually had uh, some extracurricular viewing today. Last night. Last night. You watched the first uh, episode of of, uh, WandaVision. Uh, I'm really curious to know what you think, and as I think a lot of people are. You are well-versed in the MCU by this point, having reviewed Uh, almost every every film. But um, what did you think of this first episode? Because there are mixed reviews for sure. Uh, I haven't read any reviews beyond, beyond listening. I, I've listened to you and WH up through your review of episode one because I, I haven't seen the second episode yet. But I, it was a pure coincidence that I watched it because I was only logging on to Disney+. Plus. I'm almost at the end of The Mandalorian. And I was just literally looking up like the length of the last episode. And then WandaVision's right there staring me in the face. And I just was drawn to the length. It's like 28 minutes, which really it's like 22 Honestly, like the last like six minutes is like credits. So I was like, you know what? I got, I got time. Let's let's watch this. And I watched it. Time was uh, I was never I was never bored during this, this episode. I really thought that it's yes, it's like it's an homage to so many like classic shows that you guys went, went over. But I think that's like a much that's easier said than done. You know what I mean? Like that could have been a complete disaster. And I thought what stood out to me in episode one Number two, the the two uh, the two main characters I think are just outstanding. They carry this thing with, with their with their personalities. But it is the writing on this show that it's just so witty and written as if I was transformed back or sent back to 1960. Like you like really it- are like even like the humor of it is written like the the corny jokes, the, the tropes that you would associate with such a show right down to the you know the the magazine of how to please your husband and su- and such it was i don't know i i can totally see why people that are coming into an MCU property would have no idea how to react to this or have a negative reaction to it but for me i i enjoyed it for the 22 minutes or so that it was as somebody who never really grew up with the Dick Van Dyke show or or Bewitched i i feel like a lot of those the accuracy and the faithfulness and the work maybe it took to like create those parodies might have been lost on me. They weren't really lost on WH. But for me, I'm really looking forward to like jumping into the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and seeing what sort of like tropes they pull from all, all the all the sitcoms of those eras that I'd be a whole lot more familiar with. Uh, but you're absolutely right from what I can gather, like extremely faithful and, you know, well done, sharp parodies. And of course, you have an underlying story that's essentially a horror mystery underneath it all that's that's set to reveal itself too so um thank you for is it li- the same is it still based like episode two is it kind of borrowing from other genres it's not like is it it's still sitcom episode two so episode one is the dick van dyke show essentially um and it's kind of more like you know early 60s maybe even like late 50s episode two is more like late 60s Episode three, which is set to drop in about 24 hours, that deals with the 70s. And from what I gather, the Brady Bunch. In fact, one of one of the listeners in, in the Discord, so his mother sells like Brady Bunch dolls on eBay and actually had Marvel buy one from her 
Wow. So there's there's a weird connection. Postwrestling.com slash Discord, everybody. Join it. It's it's the best. It's it's the place to be. You learn tidbits like this. But um yeah, so they'll move on to the seventies and then we'll get into the eighties and then the nineties. Oh, what what will be parodied in the eighties? Will they be I think uh, it'll be family ties like, oh, from man, what I hear. They got they gotta be set in Texas. Uh Texas. Oh, it, it, that's not a sitcom though. Oh come on, it's close enough a serial drama <laughs> yeah so uh yeah no I, i'm thank you for listening to it if you are curious everybody about listening to our review rewand a vision uh the episode that we did last week with wh introducing everybody to it is absolutely free right now at postwrestlingcafe.com just scroll to uh rewind a vision which is about like two three posts down or you can go to youtube.com slash post wrestling and you can listen right there uh but new episodes will drop every weekend so sign up right now postwrestlingcafe.com where you can also let's get all the plugs out of the way here very quickly john also tomorrow at postwrestlingcafe.com i will be doing a brand new podcast with jordan goodman we'll be talking a bit about uh mental health and you know the concept of uh flow states and really just kind of getting to know a lot of our audience. So it's called the Wellness Policy, and it's open to all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe at 3 o'clock Eastern Time on Zoom Thursday. So do join us, and it'll be available afterwards to listen if you can't join us then either. Uh, definitely check out the debut of the, the Wellness Policy. Also, I want to give a mention that for Post Wrestling Cafe members, you also have the latest edition of Rewind Away that seems to have gotten uh, a lot of... Uh, praise from people that enjoyed our breakdown of the 2014 interview that Steve Austin conducted with Vince McMahon on the WWE Network. It's a 60-minute interview, but somehow we talked for over two hours about this interview, uh, courtesy of our espresso executive producer this week, our man Neil. I I honestly am, am surprised at how much there is to talk about in these interviews, and I really I was really proud of the podcast. I'm really glad people have enjoyed it so much because... Uh, I, you know, it's fun to analyze and dissect professional wrestling matches and storylines. I almost find it way more interesting to like talk about people's, um, I guess, um, the way they conduct themselves and the the way they field uh, tough interview questions. And especially if that person is Vince McMahon, who rarely does these things. Uh, so even like in, in a 60 minute interview with Steve Austin, I felt like there was so much to gather and analyze. So, um, I really enjoyed the show. I hope people enjoy it as well. All of that can be found at postwrestlingcafe.com. $6 a month gets you access to all of the bonus shows. And just looking ahead, uh, we're going to be putting out a lot of shows on the cafe, uh, coming up, including the wellness policy, uh, that debuts Thursday, 3 PM Eastern time. And then a double shot of way on Sunday with Total Recall and WandaVision Episode 3. And, of course, Rewind to SmackDown on Saturday, or sorry, on Friday, Friday going into Saturday, I suppose. And then next week, we've got our Rocky reviews coming back with Rocky Five. So um, usually we try to, like, you know, um, guarantee at least two bonus podcasts. I mean, this week it's something more like four. Uh, we're probably going to have some New Japan, New Beginning podcasts that are exclusive to post wrestling cafe members as well coming up so you're getting a ton of a ton of value uh plus the archive of course 
And last plug, the Royal Rumble pool is now open. So go to postwrestling.com. The button is right there. It's free to join. And you have up until Sunday, January 31st at 3 p.m. Eastern time, the day of the Rumble, to submit all of your picks in the uh, different uh, subjects that we're asking questions for. So uh, you can join now or you can wait right up until the end. But make sure you submit your picks by 3 Eastern, the day of the Rumble. Let's move on to the news items. The first one uh, concerns Conor McGregor. And I'm just going to recap what came out uh, earlier this week on Tuesday that uh, actually a pair of civil suits have been filed against Conor McGregor. Uh, The first, it's a personal injury suit that was filed by an unnamed woman whose identity is protected uh, in Ireland. But this This is concerning the case that was investigated for some time by the National Police in Dublin, and they ended up ruling that they were not going to uh, pursue criminal charges against Conor McGregor. So after that, uh, this civil suit has now been filed. So this is not talking about criminal charges, but she is seeking uh, damages. And, you know, it's it's very serious accusations. Uh, The independent.ie, they were the ones that first uh, broke the story that a suit had been filed against Conor McGregor and an associate of his, as well as a second suit filed by the unnamed woman's mother. So the New York Times uh, have also obtained the statement of claim filed by the woman that lays out her description of what allegedly happened at a penthouse hotel room back in December of 2018. She is alleging that she was raped by Conor McGregor, that she had a a sexual assault treatment done at a hospital and that there was bruising found on most of her body along with abrasions. And then a month later uh, went to the police and she is seeking in a range from 1.79 to 2.13 million dollars. Now, one of the differences in Ireland between uh, a criminal case versus a civil suit is that the threshold to be met for a a guilty verdict, there is a difference. Um, In Ireland, the standard of proof in civil cases is a balance of probabilities. Uh, This is from the Times, meaning whether something is more than likely, something that is more likely than not to have occurred. That's what needs to be proven. In a criminal case, the offense must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's the difference. Now, McGregor's side is completely denying this. His spokesperson, Karen Kessler, uh, responded, stating, after an exhaustive investigation conducted by the Gardai, which is the national police, in addition to interviews of the plaintiff, included interviewing numerous sources, obtaining witnesses' statements, examining closed-circuit footage, and the cooperation of Conor McGregor, these allegations were categorically rejected. The plaintiff knows the facts contradict the assertions in this lawsuit. Mr. McGregor will dispute any claims and is confident that justice will prevail. So that is the story here, um, that this woman and her, her mother are pursuing civil suits and both are seeking trials um, to to uh, move this forward. So uh, it's connected to a, a case that had been reported previously, but that was being investigated of whether criminal charges would move forward. So that is um, the latest involving the Conor McGregor story. And, you know, his side is adamantly uh, denying what is being accused of the fighter. Raw ratings on Monday night saw a bit of a bump 
without any football competition this week. They did a million eight hundred and fifty four thousand viewers and a point six oh in the demo. They were number third for the night on cable behind a pair of NBA games. And if you throw out Legends Night, this would be the best uh, raw viewership uh, going back to October the 12th, which was the night of the WWE draft. And it was their best demo number since the night after SummerSlam, which was the introduction of the Thunderdome. So there was a boost. It wasn't a giant one from last week. And last week had that uh, 18 million viewership game for Alabama and Ohio State. But for this week, I mean, they started at... Just under two point, uh, just under two million viewers, and then the third hour fell to under one point seven million viewers. They were, they rebounded in some categories. Men twelve to thirty four though was down a significant amount of twenty nine percent from the week prior, uh, and they lost audience of fifteen percent from the first hour to the third hour. So, a bit of a bounce back way, and maybe this is uh, around the area we're going to be looking at what what a non football season of raw is going to do in that kind of 1.8 million range. So I think that you go back to legends night, the fact that they were able to do over 2.1 million viewers that really does show you the value of, I, I would say Hogan and flair get a lot of the credit for that legends night. And, and I don't know how much raw is going to be hitting 2 million viewers most weeks, even in WrestleMania season, unless something Something really notable catches fire or they have some big thing to promote for a one-off week. I personally would really like to see them at least just try to promote one of their editions of Raw as a special wrestling-focused show with, like, you know, a series of matches maybe to look forward to rather than just kind of relying on uh, an individual's return. Like, we see them try to do with NXT or AEW. Really, like, promoting a show like, what is it, Beach Break? Uh, no substantial returns. It's just some fancy dressing. You know, maybe you decorate the set a little bit different, but call it something unique and uh, put a good headlining match up there. Um, I, I, I definitely don't discount the fact that, you know, it's like Flair or Hogan that could get some of that credit, but I also feel like it's the idea that you're promoting a show as something special than a, more special than a typical edition of Raw that should get some credit as well. And I don't think they do that enough. Yeah, I, I think that certainly like this past week um, throughout the weekend, like what you had was Alexa Bliss versus Asuka. But really the, the major thing promoted was Randy Orton's response, which they paid off in the like if, if you were someone that was actually curious about Randy Orton's response, you got it in the first 10 minutes of the show. And then after that, it's like that's like, that, like that's, to me, that's I, no hook at all. That's nothing. Well, there's that's not, there's, the there's argument. No, there's no different there with something like that than just not trying at all. They could have not said anything. I'm sure they probably would have done similar. Yeah. I think though it was notable that, you know, this week, you know, they had, they had no significant uh, football competition or any football competition for that matter. They had the NBA to go against, which you're going to have now that the season's on. But last week, you know, they were, they did more in that opening hour. And I think you have to look at that curiosity over Drew McIntyre last week, Triple H being on the show. But this week, I think it should have been up more, but I think they'll take it. They still did a point six in the demo. So that's still uh, notable for them if you're hitting your, your best demo figure since last summer. Uh, similar or staying on the ratings front, the UFC got their number in from ABC on Saturday afternoon, 1,220,000 viewers. And the main card uh, also did... Uh, 471,000 viewers in the 18 to 49 demo. Now they also 
the last half of that card, including the Holloway Calvin Cater fight, was going against the L.A. Rams Green Bay Packers game that did 26 and a half million viewers. So they had uh, significant competition on a Saturday afternoon. I wouldn't classify this as a home run. I also wouldn't look at it as a failure either. I think it was a fine number for them to do. And I think that ABC and UFC should try this again. I do like the idea of them having this window on ABC the week before a major pay-per-view, which given Disney controlling ABC and ESPN Plus, it's to their benefit that they can do that hard push for a pay-per-view on their biggest platform of ABC. So I would imagine they do this again on ABC at some point uh, down the road, and maybe we get three or four specials a year on the network. It's a go-home show, isn't it? That's what it was, yeah, to to really hammer home McGregor and Poirier the next weekend. And you got, like, a pretty strong main card and a phenomenal main event uh, on top of it. So I would think if you were one of those 1.22 million people, it was a pretty worthwhile use of your time on a Saturday afternoon going against the NFL playoffs, which is not an easy competitor to have on a Saturday. From there, um, we had several signings announced in WWE today as well. Priscilla Kelly, Elena Black, and Lacey Ryan all coming into the company, and they will be part of the Women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Priscilla Kelly will now be Gigi Dolan. Elena Black, uh, the, the name generator, came out with Cora Jade. And then uh, Lacey Ryan is Zoe Stark. Zoe Stark. Gigi Dolan, you said? Gigi Dolan. That's how how interesting with um, the obvious kind of Gigi Allen reference, just like Darby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, didn't even think of that. Um, And maybe uh, Stark Industries now branching out into the pro wrestling industry with Zoe. Maybe. Okay. Uh, Zoe Stark will team with Marina Shafir in the opening round against Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon, and Gigi Dolan and Cora Jade will face Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell in the opening round. And the first tournament match uh, happened earlier tonight with uh, Mercedes Martinez and Tony Storm against Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter. So we have two Dusty Rhodes Tag Classics going on, and we're going to have a Women's Title Eliminator Tournament in AEW coming up soon as well. So it's tournament season. On Wednesdays. You know what? When you have a bunch of kind of nameless faces without any real storylines, make a tournament. Last thing here. Uh, did you watch any of Impact on Tuesday night? This was probably the most significant crossover because not only did uh, Matt Hardy appear with Private Party. Uh, we had Private Party beating Chris Sabin and James Storm to set up Private Party getting a future Impact tag title shot against the Good Brothers. But we had Tony Khan and Jerry Lynn appearing at Impact and uh, Tony Khan taking a page out of out of my book, literally. And there he was with his notes. Stopwatch. Not timing any. No, no stopwatch. I don't. I don't think. But that's that's have... what Jerry Lynn was there for, to hold the stopwatch, <laughs> to have the stopwatch. If if you have ever seen me at a wrestling show, folks, that that is what I look like at a wrestling <laughs> show. Is Tony Khan on Tuesday night? It's it's no joke. Um, yeah, you know, definitely happy to see at least a bit more integration between the two brands besides simply uh, Kenny Omega on one show. Um, it, now it actually feels a lot like a lot like a more more like a real crossover between the two, like a real invasion. I thought it absolutely helped Matt Hardy and Private Party, who I have said I've I've not been a fan of this this new character on Dynamite. 
I think having him just simply be in an impact environment already made him feel that much more special. I got a chance to kind of take his character in in a far different way, and I thought it made him and Private Party uh, look like that much bigger of a deal in the industry, which kind of played itself into tonight's role. So I thought it was as much of a help for the, the three of them as it was for Impact to get that much more buzz from more AEW talent and Tony Khan being on their show. I thought it was a really good follow-up for Heart to Kill. Yeah, I think that it was um, a show that people would be curious to see what is the next step in this crossover, and I think they they really delivered with it on Tuesday night. Also notable on Tuesday was the apparent write-off of Taya Valkyrie, who uh, it was reported by Mike Johnson that her deal expired last month, but she stuck around to do Hard to Kill, and apparently... um, it was very hard to kill Johnny Bravo, but Taya Valkyrie did try, and she is the one that was caught and sent off. And when asked where she was going to be sentenced, they said she would either be booked in Jacksonville or Stanford in a correctional facility. Jacksonville Penitentiary, or if she's really unlucky, they would send her to yeah Stanford Maximum Security Prison. <laughs> Really, I mean, the whole thing is as as campy as hell, and everybody knows that it's just a way to, you know, say goodbye in a nice way to Taya Valkyrie. I thought I thought Tommy Dreamer's lines were really funny, and just kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, made made for a fun little moment to say goodbye to a talent. Where do you think she's going? Um, I would say for her, um, like I I I don't know where would be where would be the best fit for her i think that there would certainly be the option like you look at AEW's women's division i think everyone's still looking for it to to grow um in WWE i mean it's she's 37 so it's like is it like we've i would not want to see her go there if they're just going to view her like in a Mickey James role where you could see like Mickey could still go and i don't think they really had that confidence to really get behind Mickey in a, in a big way. And I think that was the age factor. Perhaps, you know, obviously with John Morrison there, I, I feel like they might be a leading candidate, even if it's something like NXT. Uh, I certainly feel like an AEW could make use of somebody, uh, a veteran like her. Um, but of course, you know, she might be open to working in Mexico as well. So, that is uh, the Impact News, and you can go check out not just a report from John Ceno, but also Deep Impact with Davey Portman and Andrew Thompson that dropped on Tuesday night on the Up Next feed. Uh, so check that out, as well as Up Next Tonight, which you can listen to next. As well as Shot in the Dark with John Ceno, which is a 15-minute podcast just covering uh, a ton of shows. Uh, NXT UK featuring Walter and A-Kid this week. The Dusty Rhodes Classic matches on 205 Live. Ring of Honor main event. Uh, and of course, AEW Dark. He'll catch you up in everything in a very short amount of time. The most concise man on this network. Uh, certainly more than us. <laughs> as we now get into Dynamite on a show that reviews Dynamite. 30 minutes into the show. It began, I I thought this was just great from the start. They had Dark Order come out and negative one is on Preston Vance's shoulders and he's wearing Brody Lee's jacket and they've got a birthday cake for him on the stage and they light the candles, which seemed like quite the task with the wind as they were all trying to shield Anna Jay to try and get the the, uh, candles lit. And... John Silver discusses their big night, and then they got the entire arena to join in singing Happy Birthday. 
It was adorable. I I mean, I'm not I didn't expect to really kind of join a, a kid's birthday party, but knowing who the kid was, I was so happy that they showed this on TV. Could have been easily saved for a dark segment, but I I feel like, you know, everybody of course is very well um you know, just just incredibly Everyone wanted to see this. Yeah, everybody wanted to see this. Everybody knows this kid by now, and everybody wanted to feel a part of, you know, the the the, like making this kid perhaps feel a bit, uh, a bit better than, of course, what what he he's dealing with. They're interrupted by Luther with Serpentico, and he calls this a daycare center. Is what it's turning into, and he refers to negative one as Punky Brewster. The crowd chants, you look stupid, at Luther. And he calls them all half-wits, and negative one is a doofus. Chaos Project doesn't like children, and we're going to ruin your birthday. (laughs) I mean, this was right out of a cartoon. The villain showing up, we're here to ruin your birthday. And this big brawl erupts, and then it culminates in Hangman Page's music playing, and he comes out, this place goes nuts, and he leaps off the stage onto everyone, and that takes us into our opening eight-man tag with Hangman, with the Dark Order members of Colt Cabana, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds against Chaos Project and TH2. And it builds to a hot tag with Page early on. He's going nuts in here. It's four-on-one against Serpentico. Reynolds hits a somersault dive to the floor and then Page with the moonsault to the floor. They plug AEW shop and Jim Ross notes in the cold, I need a damn hoodie. Page then tries to lift Silver and Reynolds onto his back and to drop him onto Serpentico. I'm sure in the planning stages of this, this sounded great. This was a Herculean task, literally, of Page trying to lift these two and make it look graceful, which it did not. Evans did a springboard 450 onto Reynolds. Page is in for the save. Then on the stage, Luther is there and minus one attacks Luther with the kendo stick. Cabana lifts up Luther for a flapjack to drop him onto the cake. Doesn't quite hit the target, nor does the table break. And Luther just calmly puts his face through this cake. Was a trooper here to get this over. And has the cake in his face. In the ring, we see a stunner by Reynolds onto Serpentico, buckshot lariat into the bridging German by John Silver to pin him in six minutes and 19 seconds. Uh, I just, like, the crowd loved this. It was a nonstop, fun, eight-man tag, and then we got the stuff after the match, which we can get to, but I just thought this was a lot of fun to start the show. I thought it was great. Made the whole thing just feel like a great, fun way to start the show, and above all, I thought it made the match feel... Like it had a higher purpose beyond, you know, just kind of fulfilling a storyline or trying to impress a typical wrestling audience. It was a match to entertain a boy who really needed it. So I, I was really happy to that they let the audience in on it. I quite enjoyed Luther in, in the earlier portion. I didn't even know what Luther's voice sounded prior to tonight, but I thought he was really quite amusing kind of playing, you know, essentially like a kid's type of uh, pro wrestling supervillain. He was really good with the kid. Uh, yeah, the cake bump could have looked a bit more direct, but I, I can, I can forgive it. He really kind of put it in his own face afterwards. Overall, it was like it was really good to see Dark Order continue to work as baby faces in ring. Reynolds and Silver, in particular, are just awesome doing that nonstop baby face AEW style that they probably grew up wrestling 
with the Bucks and whatnot, uh, and showed great chemistry with Paige working into him into their spots too. I just thought everything clicked here with Dark Order. Like we talked about, man, this difficult task that they have ahead of themselves that the audience really wants to be behind them. That's what we saw here. Everything just felt like they all fell into these roles. Everyone was behind them, and it was it was a fun eight-man tag. Afterwards, Serpentico gets nailed with the kendo stick by negative one who gets on the microphone and says, my birthday was three days ago, you idiots. And then whoever came up with this, like, of course it makes total sense, but whoever thought of this was just awesome. He throws the papers at Serpentico. I love this spot. I love it. It's you got the kid to play the dad's role. I would love a heel faction of like grown men being led by a 10 year old kid. I think that'd be awesome. So this was really great. Silver is playing like his high school crush is Hangman Page. He loves he he likes him a lot. He gets on one knee and proposes that he joins the Dark Order. Page says, "I can't." And with that the graphic comes up on the screen. He said, "Yes, these dancers are coming out and they have to shut it down because they did not get the answer they were expecting." He says, "He's had so much fun with them the last few weeks." He's done the group thing. It didn't end so well for him in the past. He apologizes. Dark Order is so sad. And Paige takes a bottle and leaves through the exit. And Dark Order is is so sad here. I'm getting into all this. You know, Paige, of course, just saying no just makes you want to see him join this group even more. So to, to see that they might drag this thing out a few more months and then really kind of delaying it so that when he joins, the reaction will be as big as like, you know, when like uh, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi hugged for the first time, like that's going to be wonderful. So I'm I'm getting into the storyline. I think it's a good follow up for the Dark Order right now. Like Paige presents enough star power to make their story relevant. And as a babyface team, I think they're connecting extremely well. Alex Marvez was with Jericho and MJF in the back ahead of the three way inner circle tag match. MJF is worried about causing dissension in the group, but Jericho says this will make them stronger tonight, calls them the sex hooligans, and Jericho says no matter what, the inner circle wins tonight, and then one team will move forward. Tony Schiavone brought out Sting and Darby Allen, and Sting says that there's something about Darby that reminds him of himself. It's probably the face pain, because I can't possibly think of <laughs> anything else that would remind Darby Allen of Steve Borden. Like what do they have in common? Nothing, not a thing, <laughs> not in ring style, not uh stature, not background. If they ever put a camera <laughs> in a car with these two for a road trip, that would be the end of sting. It'd probably be like, be... yeah, don't you hate it when like, you know, the paint gets in your hair. Yeah, yeah, I gotta wash it out. Start all over. Sucks. Sting, have you ever jumped in a body bag off a bridge? <laughs> no. That's really stupid and pretty careless. <laughs> so he thinks it's phenomenal. Or, sorry, the Darby's phenomenal. He congratulates him for being the TNT champion. And he wasn't here to interrupt last week just to give Darby a fair fight against Brian Cage. And with that, you hear... Shut up! Shut up! And there's Team Taz in the background. And Taz, shocker, he's pissed off. He complains about Darby using his belt last week to hogtie Brian. They fought dirty 
Well, Taz grew up in the streets, and he says, the ball is in your court, bitches. We can take it to the streets. And Darby says to be careful what you wish for. So it looks like we're going with a street fight. I don't know involving who, but Team Taz against Darby and then whatever backup he has. And I guess the uh, I the mean, hint here is can we dress up a street fight so that Sting can do something physically? That's what I took out of it because on one end it was five men challenging two people. And if somehow that turns into a one-on-one match that makes no sense to me clearly it's at least you know the challenge was being put towards the group of sting and darby allen so to me it's an indication that sting is going to come back and wrestle i just want taz to cut these promos every week i think he's great he is very good and his faction looks great standing next to each other they're all oh, various dude, the, the look on hook's face every week like the way he just st- <laughs> he's great at just staring He's just like, I don't know, like, he's like a little kid who is trying to look tough with his grown-up friends. It's it's kind of cute. Like, if you had to rank all the managers in AEW that they've brought in, like, I, I'm i very high on Tully, but the guy that they have gotten the most out of, it has to be Taz. I, I'm trying to think who else there is, I because I don't disagree. Jake, Arn, Vicky. Oh, my God. Yeah, no question. It would be Taz. And then Tully, yeah, like I just think Taz, they brought if, if, in. If you don't count Eddie great. Kingston, I suppose, as a manager, I guess he's kind of a, he serves that function. Yeah. Then we go to Kenny Omega's house. The Young Bucks show up, and there is Alex Marvez. They are going to some ridiculous lengths to explain why a camera is on location at, at places. Like this, this to me was quite the stretch tonight of. Marvez being positioned at Kenny's house, the young bucks run into him and they have him tag along with the cameraman so that we can see why there is footage inside a home being shot and aired on TNT. Yeah, I know like Tony Khan's whole thing is that he doesn't like the invisible camera, but sometimes like to put so much attention to it and to like come up with wacky scenarios to get the camera there and to get the cameraman to leave so that they can put the camera down to show a private setting. That gets to be a bit just too much. Like, just, I don't even care whether or not there's an invisible camera at that point. You know? It, like, if, if you don't want to do an invisible camera, I don't think you could do these to- sort of storylines. Essentially, what you want to do is simply a sports presentation where only act- action only takes place in public settings, like like a press conference or, or a live interview. I don't, like, they're writing these segments that are that are traditional pro wrestling segments that really do require you to just suspend your disbelief to think that there's a camera there. And I don't think that's a problem. Like it would have made more sense if they were at like, like you're getting really wacky here, but like if they had been, if, if Alex Marvez had been with his camera operator at a restaurant and just happens to see the young bucks come in and boom, we've got a scoop here. The young bucks are here. Why are you here? We're meeting Kenny, Alex. What, what do you want? And you at least have a, a logical reason to run into each other. But Marvez is just like stationed here outside of his house. This guy's a paparazzi, essentially. Sure. Yeah, essentially. Okay. He's everywhere. Well, so Michael Nakazawa is there. They go inside the house and we see the most ridiculous oil painting of Kenny Omega and Don Callis. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. 
if this is not a t-shirt by tomorrow on Pro Wrestling Tees. How many people do you think would buy this? There will be somebody out there that buys this. Yeah. Callus shows up. He notes he had this painting commissioned. And they call him on the switch last week when Kenny brought in the Good Brothers and Callus is just backtracking. He heard something in his ear from production. And Omega can't show up here. He then asks, do you guys have Kenny's new number? They said, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. Kenny, he was getting all these calls from fans and marks. He had to get a new number. And insinuates that the Bucks aren't aren't in Kenny's new new updated list of people that have the new number, and Callus sends Marvez and the cameraman off to the dungeon, but the camera stays down and shoots the conversation so we can see them. Callus tries to buy off the Bucks by writing out checks to get rid of them from Kenny's life. The Bucks are offended, stating we made this much last week, and. They used to work at the company that Callus is now a VP of, so they know these checks aren't good anyway. And Callus explains how the Young Bucks are holding Kenny back, the new Kenny, and he's trying to get rid of them. I thought this was a good BTE segment. On Dynamite, it, it felt a little too camp and too cheesy. The premise of, I guess by this point, the Bucks, you know, still kind of being skeptical when it was so, it's so clear. And what, what is a callous? I guess buying them out to, uh, paying somebody to stop being friends with somebody else. It's, I mean, it's a very kind of like, you know, BTE type of ridiculous segment that, um, I don't know if it worked that well on Dynamite. Well, I, I hope I never get a check in the mail from one of your new friends, and then I text you, and the number is not no no longer in service. This is actually, it's a weird comparison, but I watched, uh, I told you about the Tiger Woods documentary last week. So I watched part two this week and it's, it's very, it's not like the greatest documentary in the world, but it is a really fascinating, actually the construction of this documentary is really fascinating because they interviewed so many people that had these very close bonds with Tiger Woods. And this is an unauthorized doc. Tiger has nothing to do with this and his agent has slammed the documentary. But you have all these people, like his caddy, who was, uh, Tiger was the best man at his wedding, his first girlfriend, like all these people, close friends of his, and they're all in this documentary. Tiger is not approving of this documentary. And it's like one story after the other about how Tiger Woods just completely disassociated himself from these people. Like the caddy, this guy who Tiger was the best man at his wedding and Tiger takes a sabbatical from golf. And the caddy says, are you okay if I caddy for this other golfer? And says, you do whatever you have to. The guy caddies one event and boom, Tiger fires him as his caddy and never talks to him again. And it's this wow. compete, this continued trend of like Tiger's new life. He just totally distances himself from those around him from like different periods of his life. And they've all come together in this documentary to talk about their their closeness to him that was lost over these years. So in a roundabout way, that that's what this is way. I'd love to watch the whole documentary with Tiger Woods. It's really interesting. It's on uh, it's on HBO on Crave in Canada. It's like two parts. I I think you'd really find it interesting and uh, just just a disgusting uh, paparazzi of how they treated uh, that's that scandal and how they treated the people involved in it. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting documentary to say the least. 
Peter Avalon versus Cody Rhodes is next. And Cody had said in the lead up to this that he would only need a minute to beat him. He was Conor McGregor here, predicting 60 seconds to beat Dustin Poirier. So out came pretty Peter Avalon, who's been on a winning streak on dark. And instantly Cody hits the crossroads. But before he can pin Peter Avalon, Jade Cargill comes out to distract. And Avalon kicks him in the balls right behind the referee's back. And it goes after the knee. And Cody would sell this knee for the rest of this match, which goes through a commercial break. There's a leapfrog spot where Cody goes up and then crashes down on Avalon, which looked like a planned screw-up. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It worked for the match because he's just grabbing the knee at this mistimed uh, spot. And I, I, th- I thought it worked regardless. Uh, Avalon hit this tope suicida. Then he comes off the rope and gets caught with a cutter. And then Cody hits a power slam, applies the figure four. It's reversed, but then he regains the position and Avalon submits. So they actually had a pretty competitive match here. And the story being that Cody's knee got really messed up and Arn was freaking out about this knee injury after the match. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought the story was well conveyed. I didn't like this finish at all. Like, he's about to slap him in the face and he's the man tapped out because he was about to be slapped. Well, he's pretty Peter Avalon. He's got to protect the face. Oh, is that the gimmick? He's too pretty to be slapped. Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense. I just felt like it came across really flat. You know, you're in the middle of like a really pretty heated matchup. And then, um, I guess, uh, it just, it felt like it just kind of felt like a tap out out of nowhere. It kind of defeated Uh, the purpose of the rest of the match. Yeah. Um, it was, it was fine. Like it, it gave Avalon something here, but I think more so it was like Cody's knee and coming back and telling the story that he overlooked Peter Avalon. Hmm. So, uh, then they plugged go big show and Excalibur once again, mispronounced Burt Kreischer's name, calling him Burt Krishna, which I think is a running gag now to mispronounce his name. FTR is with Tully Blanchard and they talk about the ratings coming in. They are number one. But they need the belts. Jurassic Express storm in and Jungle Boy says that he learned he can beat either of them in the ring. And Dax threatens to fight him next week. And Luchasaurus says we will all be ringside, but I will make sure no one gets involved. And Jurassic Express leaves. Dax throws his drink and he says, I will kill him. I hope not. So there you go. That's our match next week. I think that's going to be a hell of a match next week. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Then uh, John Moxley makes his way out to the ring, and Jim Ross says that he is ready to fight in a heartbeat. We then went to a commercial break. If your heart ever stops for the length of a commercial break, you would be in serious trouble. So never let your heart stop for that amount of time. That would be bad. So John Moxley took on Owen 2 Nick Comaroto who has been on AEW Dark, and I, I thought they, like, this was a uh, just basic match for John Moxley, but I thought they turned this into, like, a really great four-minute television match uh, for Camarado here, who got to show off his power and size. Moxley gave him a lot, tried to bite him in the face, caught him with an Ushiguroshi, and they're talking about 
what a major upset this could be if Nick Camarado can continue this momentum. He runs and misses Moxley in the corner. Moxley's kicking away at the chest, released German after Camarado bounces off the ropes, and then a lariat, but Camarado won't go down. He lifts him onto the shoulders, and then Moxley transitions to a rear naked choke. Camarado goes down to his back and goes out cold, and it's called off at 357. I, I thought this was really well done for just a four-minute match to... Like, it was, in theory, a squash match, but it it was like, give this guy something, and it made the win feel that much more important. I was really entertained by it. You know, because of the guy's size, you could buy that Camarado is a threat to somebody like Moxley, even though, you know, as far as status, the disparity is just so huge. But it's as if, like, you know, in this match, it was like Moxley facing off with a bear. Even if a bear isn't ranked in the, I don't know, heavyweight rankings, you can buy that it's still pretty dangerous and that it's because they had, you know, gave him so much offense and physically Camarado looked so great. Moxley winning by choking him out at the end felt like an accomplishment for him. So it was it was a great opportunity for Camarado to showcase himself with the biggest star in the company. And he did great. And I thought Moxley benefited as well. So all parties really benefited from this. So what you want to see next week is John Moxley taking on another AEW Dark uh, featured act, Bear Country. All the animals, yeah, they can go yeah. through the dragon, all that. They have a lot of uh, a lot of animals represented in this in this company. Moxley cuts a promo, says anything can happen on Dynamite. He can't keep track of who's in the Bullet Club, the Elite. Impact Wrestling. Kenny thought he would bring his frat brothers to watch his back. Now that just means more bodies and bigger brawls to have, which means more violence and more limbs to break. He's going to climb up the mountain because no matter what, all roads in pro wrestling lead through him. Mm-hmm. Good babyface promo from Mox. You know, full of attitude and just great confidence that he, he could take on any challenge. So I just want him to address that backstage attack by this point. Yeah, maybe it should have been Nick Camarado. Okay, and this was the revenge. Hmm. Dosh is with Eddie Kingston and the family. He's going to face Lance Archer next week. He's asked, how are you going to prepare? He doesn't prepare. He just fights. Lance and Jake walk in. Jake, uh, God bless this man. He needed a couple buttons on this shirt done up. Archer tells him that Pack beat your ass. They're going to fight one-on-one next week. Jake calls him a chicken shit and then ends by telling Eddie... Bite me. Yes. Channeling Rick Steiner here. Pretty cold dude to me, but, you know, I'm sure the match will be good. Marvez finds Kenny Omega and this ridiculous outfit he was in by, by design. And Omega goes into the locker room area and finds Don Callis, whose face is all bruised up. And Callis is just playing like the slime ball here. He's like, oh, I don't want to tell you what happened. It's it's no big deal. It was, you know, Nick and Matt. Oh, oh, Nick and Matt. I didn't mean to say that. And then kicks Alex Marvez out, calling him a stooge. So Callis, the invisible hand, even manipulating Kenny Omega here. I think he's really good in his role. You know, despite maybe how BTE feeling or how campy feeling the prior segment was, I think, uh, you know, as a whole, Callis is, is a very good performer. And, uh, you know, his um, VP status at Impact and, and ability to kind of foster this whole crossover is just sort of a, just an extra. But as a performer, even if he was not attached to Impact, I think he'd be great for this. So here is where I 
appreciated that earlier segment more because now, like this was clearly Don Callis is lying to Kenny Omega. But how can we prove that lie? Don was not aware that that camera was rolling where the footage will exonerate the Young Bucks. They did not attack Don Callis. Did we see the whole interaction though? No, we did not. We, well, we saw the end where they were there. There was no escalation and violence, but there was, uh, you know, the did, tape did was they, rolling. Did they end the conversation? Did they leave? Well, they cut. They cut away. So I guess like there's always the uh, the possibility that Don's telling the truth, but he, sh- he shouldn't be telling the truth here. He's probably he's very likely not telling the truth. Yeah. Anyway, that tape. Someone's got to get a hold of that tape. Matt Seidel and Top Flight versus Matt Hardy and Private Party. Uh, we had Darius and Dante Martin with drop kicks right away. And then Top Flight tries this tandem spot. I This thing was nuts. There's a bounce off the rope into a monkey flip with one flipping. I think it was Darius flipping Dante over, but he didn't quite land onto Quinn. And then he went for the, he went for another flip onto Seidel or sorry, onto Quinn. When he went for the pin, he realized he was not the legal man. So Seidel had to go for the cover afterward. To which JR says, does it really matter? matter? (laughs) Listen, I I think he hates this stuff. Listen, this match, like there was some impressive stuff in this match, but there was a lot of like stuff that was completely off in this too. Like this was not a tight match involving these six. Oh, this was exactly the type of match where like it would make somebody agree with Jim Ross on some of his points. Um, like they had a lot of ideas here, but the, especially with top flight and private party, like you had Seidel and Matt Hardy to me were kind of the ones trying to keep everything together, but it was just so like, they were just trying so many things and just the timing was off on a lot of stuff. And it was really hard to see a semblance of like you you can appreciate when this stuff is done flawlessly this one was not done flawlessly um Seidel did a double rana after they beat on him through the commercial uh, Darius hit the standing spanish fly to Cassidy and then this crazy tope to Matt Hardy who just crashed into the guardrail the silly string gets stopped Hardy hits side effects to all three and tries a triple cover and got three two counts which Jim Ross notes was a six count but distributed three ways Dante did that leaping Frankensteiner to Quinn and catching it at the end. And then as Dante climbs to the top, Cassidy uses a chair to the ribs. Mark Quinn gives him a smile before hitting the shooting star press and pins Dante after the utilization of the chair. Seidel and Darius are pissed off afterwards. So private party beat them down. And then Matt hits a twist of fate to Darius and Matt Seidel. So private party after signing this awful contract have come to the realization that, Hey, we're locked into this deal. So let's make the best of it. I mean, you know, traveling on a jet and being able to appear in multiple promotions on the same night, I guess they were convinced that, Hey, like Matt's onto something. Um, I, I thought it was, you know, just an okay match. You pointed out a lot of the issues. I was more so concerned with seeing how private party take to being a heel act at this point. I think, you know, they they spent like a year in AEW essentially kind of being top flight for the first year. Like they're, they're you know, these fresh guys from the indies, you know they can do great. But no real storylines to speak of. Not much personality that's come out. Um, or at least not, not enough on Dynamite. So I'll see like what the heel turn does for the two of them. And uh, certainly being featured in a role on Impact as well makes them feel that much more special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, the the setup to all of this, like, I don't know. It just seems like the, like, they come off as, like, pretty foolish signing these contracts at the beginning mm-hmm. of it. Like, if you were going to turn them, I think well, there was a way played. to do. Yeah. So now it's like they're just uh, Stockholm Syndrome, I guess. Um, Maybe they think it's a good deal. Okay, maybe well. he thinks they think Matt deserves 50%. Eventually, Some people do that in wrestling. Some people do sign bad deals in wrestling that they convince themselves are great ones. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's still Matt Hardy clearly kind of taking advantage of, of the young people that he's uh, got to sign for him. But um, in either case, it's it's a fresh direction for private party. It, it allows them to, forces them to kind of wrestle a different sl- style, maybe even forces them to slow their matches down, rely less on athleticism and you know crazy spots and more on just uh, maybe storytelling. So I, I think it'll be beneficial for them in the long run. MJF and Wardlow went into the inner circle locker room uh, where the members were minus Jericho. And he speaks to Santana, Ortiz, Hager, and Sammy and says if it was up to him, he isn't sure this match would be happening. But what Chris says goes. Sammy gets up into MJF's face and MJF says, listen, I love you guys and we have to be a family I respect you, Sammy, for speaking what's on your mind. I'm not a sociopath. I want what is best for the group. So let's just get this match out of the way. And the other ones begrudgingly agree. He goes to to put up his fist for Sammy, who says, we're not there yet. So MJF is playing. We've got a lot of master manipulators in this promotion. We have Don Callis, Matt Hardy, and MJF at work. And MJF is knowing that these guys do not want to do this match tonight, and he's playing to that and speaking there, speaking to them like, I'm, I'm on your side in all of this. This is not a great idea. If I was the leader, we wouldn't be doing this. So I, I continue to enjoy the, uh, the reverse psychology that MJF is uh, clearly playing with. I think he'd be great on like a Big Brother or like Survivor or like one of those competition reality shows. Yes, he would be like the modern, like Johnny Fairplay, I guess. Yeah. He would lie about his grandmother's death. Layla Hirsch against Penelope Ford. We've got Orange Cassidy watching in the crowd, and Ford comes out with Kip Sabian, Miro, and Charles Taylor in his tuxedo. And I I thought that this match, of course, was supposed to be Layla Hirsch and Nyla Rose, but Nyla Rose had to withdraw from these tapings after a family member got COVID that she had direct contact with. So as a precaution, she stayed off of these tapings and Penelope Ford got inserted. Uh, Layla Hirsch. I, I really enjoy Layla Hirsch. I think that she was great in this match. She is controlling the back Ford uh, kicks out her knee, does like the John Jones kick to the knee. And then uh, as Hirsch does a kip up, Taylor trips her at the request of Miro and then Hirsch has to fight off the numbers. She goes after Kip. That leads to a pump kick from Ford on the floor and is sent into the guardrail. Hirsch then, in the ring after the break, spins Ford into the splits, hits a running knee, a released German, double knees in the corner, and then scales to the top and dives onto Miro and Taylor on the floor. And then as she's re-entering the ring, she gets nailed with a kick from Ford. Ford goes for the pin. And this is the part that just was... uh Make no sense. Kip grabs Hirsch's foot and is like, I don't know if he's trying to put it on the rope or he was 
expecting her to have the foot on the rope. Regardless, this made no sense. Was he try- wasn't he trying to hold the foot down? The foot was down, and then he grabbed it. Well, like to keep it down. Was he not like pressing the foot down to prevent her from kicking? It, he she, he like raised it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, I, it was a blown finish. I don't know what they were doing. And listen, for Excalibur tried to like cover for this, and I can appreciate when you try to do this. I also appreciate Jim Ross just saying, I don't know what he was trying to do. Like, I don't think you have to go out on a complete ledge when something makes absolutely no sense in front of your eyes. And that's what this was to me. I watched this like three times. I have no idea other than perhaps Hirsch was supposed to have her foot on the rope and he knocks it off. But this, I I thought, and Ford too, I thought both of them had a very good match up until the finish. And Hirsch is just like a real great, uh, I wouldn't even say underdog. Like she just, in, in this role she was because she had to overcome the numbers. But they've got something great in in Layla Hirsch. And this was a rare chance for Penelope Ford to who has looked very good when she has been given time on Dynamite. I agree. I, I like them both. And Layla Hirsch, I think, is somebody who's really unique in the division. I think who'd, you know, be a great fit in something like a team Taz. Um but certainly like as a in terms of stardom, you definitely see a lot more in Penelope Ford. So, um, unfortunately, the whole match was really just a backdrop for this, like, uh, Butler thing, which I think is way it, more. It sucked tonight. Like, this stuff in the post-match. Like, I thought the strength of this was doing some, like, on-location vignettes or something. Like, this, I, I thought it was really lame afterwards. They brought, Miro brings Taylor into the ring and needs... He says, I'll take you places, but you need to let go of your past. This is literally the Don Callis, Kenny Omega story uh, in a mid-card role. He needs to get on the mic and tell that George Michael wannabe, Orange Cassidy, that Miro is his new best friend. So Taylor has to begrudgingly tell him, Miro is my best friend now. And Orange Cassidy is dejected and walks off. Number one, what, what is the consequence if Taylor refused to do this? He's a man of his word. He's already number two. Everyone. Why would Orange Cassidy possibly be offended by this? (laughs) If way, if someone had a gun to your head and you told me, you know what, John, you're a piece of shit. You know what? Eh, Fair enough. Yeah, sure. I wouldn't be all sad. I'd realize what the circumstances are here. Anyway, I I think this story is really lame. It's, it's a, it's a pretty, yeah, it's not really kind of kind of changing my mind about it all. It's not much better than the video game controller being broken. Well, at least they they have a consistency. And the wedding's in two weeks. That's when this Butler thing ends. Okay, great. Backstage, Anderson and Gallows have appeared, and they destroy Penta. Omega and Callus appear, and Omega joins in on the attack, and he takes off his ridiculous boot, which is perfect for this guy. This this boot. And he takes the point of the boot and stabs Penta in the eye. So, yes, folks, eyes are still going to be part of pro wrestling injuries in 2021. Well, um, I just want to hear Samoa Joe. It's out. It's modern storytelling, you know, just at least they're not burning people. So next week they announce Kingston and Archer. Cody responds to Shaq. 
He has had a long time to think about this response. So it better be a hell of a response. This damn story is just like barely existing. Right? Shaq's probably done like a 10,000 DJ gigs since then. He doesn't even give a shit about this anymore. Do you do you watch Dynamite on TSN? Yeah. Do do you watch the the Shaq ad for the printers? Shaq is in every I ad, know, but the, this ad's the best. Yeah, talks I about how expensive one. other printers are. The people have to print in black and white to save money. The man not has, anymore. The man has no shame. Put his face on anything. Well, Dax Harwood versus Jungle Boy. And then the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers against Evil Uno, Stu Grayson, uh, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds are the four matches announced for next week. Yeah. Um like why why are the Bucks and the Good Brothers suddenly teaming? They didn't really give a, a reason for why it's been booked. So they're they are believing that it's a misunderstanding? Or it's one of those things where where they'll explain it on dynamite, I guess? Like they're the bosses, wouldn't they? Anyway. Well Tony Khan has booked this. Okay. But the Bucks explained on being the elite this week. They know that they were lied to last week. They know it wasn't just some mistake. Uh huh. Yeah. So I'm sure you'll get an explanation. It's one of those like, why did they? You know, you certainly saw no build up to it on this episode. But all right. Then for beach break on February third, it's going to be uh, the wedding. Uh, Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker, a tag team battle royal where the winners face the Young Bucks at Revolution, which, I mean, you have laid out a numerous set of teams that could be in, in the running here, um, including the Good Brothers who could win this. Yeah, definitely. I think so. And the main event of Beach Break will be Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers against John Moxley, Pac, and Phoenix uh, with the angle involving Penta to obviously explain his absence here. Mm-hmm. That's a good-looking match. That should be a great match. Um, and then they announced that the AEW Women's Championship Eliminator Tournament is coming soon. And they showed a graphic showing on one side the U.S. flag and on the other side a Japanese flag. So I wonder if it's going to be like a Japan versus U.S. type of tournament. I guess so. Uh, I didn't even notice the flags. So, yeah, that would make sense. You have a one bracket and the other. I wonder if How are you they going to do that? If if the like are they going to do matches in Japan or or what? You could. Um hmm. that seems very unlike AEW to just take matches. They wouldn't have like tape matches on Dynamite. Or or they could just decide that they're going to do this tournament, bring over Rio and like Yuka Sakazaki and they do the tournament they can tape all the stuff and then they go back to Japan. They just, they have to quarantine when they go back. Yeah. Yeah. So I it's mean, like, it would be... we're, we're going to pick our spots to bring them over and get the most out of them while they're here. And then they, they return home. It would be committing to using them for a period and then having them stick around for, for a bit. I mean, it's I, I, eventually, I mean, it's almost, we're getting to the point where it's going to be a year before, you know, like somebody like Riho will have been last seen. So I imagine they might be at the point now where they're just like, Maybe we just bring them over. Main event was Chris Jericho, MJF, against Santana Ortiz, against Jake Hager and Sammy Guevara. The best part was Jake Hager and Sammy Guevara coming out, and there is a video message from Sammy Hagar calling them his new favorite tag team. I thought this was so awesome. That was great. Absolutely. And of course, I guess Jericho with his connections, this 
is not really too too hard to believe that they they made happen. But uh, I love this. Yeah, it was great. It's little things like that that I, I think are great. That oh, someone that was thought about a, it. That was not a little thing at all. I mean, it was an it was an inset promo. It was like a very short thing oh, on yeah. the show, but it was very cool. As expected, the crowd starts chanting "tag team slut" at Chris Jericho. Hmm. Um. This is a really fun three. I hate three ways by by usual standards. This one I was really engaged in because you had all these different stories and you're watching like who's going to help who, who's going to try and undermine the other. And I think you you could make a case for any of these teams uh, winning this. So I thought they laid this out very well. The star of this match was Sammy Guevara. He was Completely. awesome as the baby face. He mm-hmm. fires up on Jericho early on, does the pose on the mat, and then gets catapult, uh, catapults Jericho into Hager's right hand. Uh, we have... Santana and Ortiz come in, they double-team Jericho, and their Shivani points out that, like, the first half of this match, it's Jericho in there by himself. MJF has never tagged in, so it's Jericho taking all the punishment. And with that, MJF gets tagged in, and Hager goes after him. Hager showed a lot of fire in this. Um, Guevara did a springboard into a cutter on MJF, then a corkscrew plancha. He just looked incredible in this match. Did a one-man Spanish fly to Ortiz, and then Jericho gets the, the bat and Jake Hager stops him from using the bat. So Wardlow passes the ring to MJF. Hager stops him with the ring. Then Jericho goes for the lion salt and you can see immediately. He doesn't get the same spring from the mat onto the ropes. And this was one of the scariest looking lion salts. He was so lucky. He was okay. This was a very scary looking one. Might be time to retire the move. And like the man has hit it perfectly his entire career, but at this point he definitely does not need it. It's really just a transition move. Uh like that Judas effect is is way more over. If he wanted to get another move over, he can, just like that. So I do wonder if it's time to like save that one for like the really big event. Yeah, it's um you know, it's a it's a scary one. Like that's that was the Hayabusa injury, you know what I mean? But it was um mm-hmm. it was just very scary to watch this because you could see just when he balanced on the ropes, you knew this this was it looked scary and he still went through with it and thankfully appeared okay. Uh there's a code breaker on Ortiz for a two count, then a Hager bomb, this crazy sent on from Guvara, Ortiz with the save, and then Guvara lifts up Jericho with the GTH and Tries for the same to MJF, but as he has him on his shoulders, rams him into Wardlow on the apron, and that allows MJF to get off the shoulders, roll up Guevara, and grab the trunks for the pin. So MJF and Jericho prevail. Very good main event. You know, as you mentioned, Sammy Sammy stole the show. He wrestled like an incredible babyface. And it really feels like they're pushing Sammy Hagar as like a babyface team now, yeah, complete with endorsement from Sammy Hagar himself. You know, Hager, Jake Hager gets all these power spots. He thwarts all the weapon usage. Sammy gets all the high flying. And the finish is him getting cheated by MJF. So um, I'd love to see where they go with it. Clearly, he's the one who with the most descent to MJF of everybody in. Uh, at least if they go on a little run as baby faces, I would love to see a continued push of Sammy Hagar. Yeah, I I thought one thing on this show is that when you look at, you know, five, six years down the road of who are going to be some of your key guys, and it's just like, man, you've got Guevara, you've got MJF, Jungle Boy, Darby Allen, like they have just such a 
like that that group that they have that are in their their mid twenties. It's it's pretty impressive, like where you can imagine these guys being just in two years from now, much less five. Well, completely in ring. I think so many of them already have it at this point. It's just about building the characters and the star power and uh, stories. So that was impact. Or sorry, that was that was dynamite. It's not it's not impact yet. So um, your thoughts on the show? Way good and bad. Um, I thought it was an okay show. I, I didn't think it was um, a great dynamite because uh, there have been a lot of better ones lately. There weren't really too many matches um, I was looking forward to prior to this one. And I can understand it because it's, you know, look at the competition on TV. But I really enjoyed uh, the negative one birthday party just for the yep. atmosphere. Like the main event, um, you know, the some of the, the Bucks, um, Kenny stuff was just okay didn't really love some of the backstage backstage uh, skits and um every the rest of it was somewhat average i have to say yeah the 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 young bucks playing angry is sometimes very tough it's fine for bte cuz it's such a campy show but when you know it's it's definitely a case of a, sort of overacting and you know maybe in wrestling there's like a way to make that work but it didn't work tonight for me yeah, I, I really enjoyed the main event and the opening eight man. I, I thought I thought was great, and the crowd like this was a live show tonight. I, I thought the crowd it, it sounded good tonight. Yeah, they've been letting more people in, haven't they? They're at about I think Tony Khan just said this the other day. Like they, I think they have like two kind of setups where it's um, anywhere from like uh, give or take like seven hundred to eleven hundred that they can fit in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go to the forum. And tonight's show got a 6.69, which is lower by Dynamite standards on the forum. Uh, let's go first to Andrew from Cape Breton. Tonight's show was good. Not much to give feedback to as they did the usual good things. Good trios match. They tried to establish some new guys, uh, some new people, and a good Cody match. This Nick Camarado guy seems like he has potential, and with AEW's love of managers, he should be put with someone like Tully Blanchard or even Jake Roberts if they want to expand the number of people he manages. The highlight was the Dark Order segment. Luther was awesome tonight, and the botched celebration was a genuinely funny moment. Eight footstools for Lana out of ten. All right, we go to Jesse from Montreal who says, I'm surprised the rating is as high as it is tonight. I usually enjoy Dynamite, but I thought tonight's show was really sloppy. There were botches throughout the night. Seidel and Top Flight versus Hardy Party was a complete mess, and the main event seemed rush. Yeah, they went off air, like, right away. Like, they definitely were trying to cram everything in by the end. Pro wrestling is really hard to do well, and people make mistakes. I get it. But I perceived so many errors, I stopped. I started thinking maybe something was wrong with the ring. But hey, maybe it's just me. I still love Adam Page. Mark writes, just wanted to say that the he said yes moment was probably one of the few times I've genuinely laughed at a wrestling promo and segment. This is where they had the whole celebration expecting Paige to say yes. Uh, it, it was, it was I, I love that whole opening segment. I thought the first like 10, 12 minutes of the show were, were great. Uh, finally, we go to Jeremy who says, did they really have to scroll the AEW dark results during the Moxley Camarado match? Of course, I didn't have any belief that Moxley would lose, but seeing that the guy he was wrestling lost to Scorpio Sky last week or last night took any part of the competitiveness out of the match. With that criticism of AEW's production errors that just seemed to continue, being an Impact Wrestling fan first and foremost, I have to say I'm really enjoying all the crossover between both companies. What other wrestlers do you see crossing over between them? 
I I don't have a criticism of that. I mean, he's clearly he was presented. He's Owen too. Like that was like this was not uh presented as anything different. Like that's I don't know. I don't I don't see a big issue with that. Uh in terms of the crossover, I think that you're I, I don't think you need to overdo it that you I think you want to keep it to a relative small number that you're focused on because it can get like I, I don't think we need to see both both locker rooms crossing over, but I think they are slowly introducing the idea like this week that you don't know who's going to show up and it's not just going to be one-sided either. You can see impact talent showing up to AEW and vice versa. So that even on a down week, you kind of have that in your back pocket to, as a fan to anticipate potentially having them cross over. But I think for now you focus on, you know, your, your tag teams, like obviously Omega and Swan, I think that's going to be a prime focus going into rebellion and, and the good yeah. brothers will be the key ones going back and forth. But you can get the machine guns in there when Shelly's ready to come back. I think that that's, that's a natural to do. And maybe we'll see a bit more of you know your private party level guys that can go to Impact and get some more time that is not available on Dynamite each week. I'd love to see some of the knockouts uh, jump in. And, and in fact, this, this woman title, female title eliminator tournament would be a perfect mm. slot to, to get somebody in there. Uh, so I hope to me, like, you know, uh, I, I look up, up and down that impact roster and honestly, there aren't really a ton of names that I, I feel like would be a big difference makers, at least in terms of my interest. But, uh, I think the knockouts division would be an exception. I think you, you could bring Moose in there. You can bring maybe Sammy Callahan and Eddie Edwards, you know, as perhaps some of the more recognizable faces that might make, you know, uh, an impact on a dynamite. <laughs> So Kenny Omega versus Ken Shamrock. Uh, Ken Shamrock. Yes, of course. All right. Well, thank you everybody for Ken the Chan feedback. versus Ken Sham. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll tell you, Ken Sham is the perfect description. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you everybody. Thank you for all those that tuned in live as well. I've enjoyed doing these live. Yeah, yeah, we always get a nice little intimate group in here of Double Double Plus patrons who watch us uh, do Raw and SmackDown Live every single Monday and Wednesday now at 10.15 and 11.15 p.m. Eastern. So shout-outs to Branavan, Brandon from New Jersey, Hacksaw, Jim Powers, Hanzi, Anthony, Professor Kevin. Thank you for helping me with my Zoom earlier in the day. Uh, and Eric Marcotte, as always, and all of you guys that are in here. Yes. So again, the wellness policy debuts Thursday at three Eastern for all patrons. And also forgot to mention the UFC 257 post show will be live Saturday night, right after the main event between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor, myself and Phil chair talk will be live uh, chatting about the entire show and do check out the post wrestling discord. We'll be in there during the fights and check it all out. The UFC 257 post show. Will you be posting food picks? Uh, I don't know what what is going on in the Discord food wise. Uh, well, it's, it seems like it's a competition between Brandon and Phil about who's got the best dinners and lunches. So who's uh, winning? I would say Brandon. Like the man eats well. He eats really well. So uh, it's it's always very impressive. Uh, of course, a lot of sections in there about gaming, TV, movies, uh, it, politics, even music. So postwrestling dot com slash Discord. Interact with other listeners. All right. Well, check out all of that. Thank you to everybody for listening. And we'll speak with you Friday night after the obstacle course.